Yeah. Yes, it is, Jesus, the blood. Um, nothing, no one else can take the credit, um, Lord, for your grace. Um, no one can take credit for anything in our lives that is good except for you. So, Lord God, I pray today that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we come, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Man, well, we're continuing our series through First uh, Peter. Um, we're almost to the end of chapter 3. What month did we start? <laughs> Anybody remember? November? Y'all don't remember. September? No, we didn't. September? Really? Wow. We've been going. My goodness. Well... Well, this, this series has been a deep blessing for me. How many of you have you been touched by God's word through this time through First Peter? God's word, God's word, God's word. And um, it, it's, it's interesting what we're going to get into today um, because it really is it's good that we're in a season of reminders because, um, because of those of you who are really new, even those of you who have gone through probably the last two or three covenant communities, um, <clears throat> Um, how many has it been? Five? Four, five, five, what? about to be five. Four? Okay, so, so the first, the, the, the second two covenant communities, which is our membership uh, deal, um, some of you uh, um, didn't get to catch some of our DNA. DNA is a very important thing to a church. Um, that's why the apostles wrote epistles, because they were very concerned about not uniformity, but the conformity of God's people. And they wanted God's people on the same page, because when we're not on the same page, we're going our own direction. Now, when we're on the same page, we're talking about based on being synced up with the mind of the Father. And so, and so today, we get to talk about a subject. One of our words we use around here is missional. Say missional. It's interesting that in this section, Peter takes a turn of sorts, and um, it, it's a beautiful take on everything that he's kind of zooming us in on as believers to really have comprehensive lives. Comprehensive. Can you say that? You'll hear that a lot around here. Because comprehensiveness is God's concern, and his means of comprehensiveness to the gospel, I mean, is the gospel, and his goal of, of that comprehensiveness that comes through the gospel is shalom. Say shalom. Yeah, peace, God's wholeness, everything reflecting his vision through Christ of what things look like under Jesus' feet. He's concerned about it. He wants everything under his feet. But there's a means in which God has chosen to bring about the captivity of everything under his feet, and that's the proclamation of the gospel. The church has had to make a switch, had to make a switch over the last probably five to ten years because what has happened is Christian, uh, Christianity became extremely institutionalized for centuries. Going to a building was a deep focus. A stained glass windows, pipe organs, dressing a particular way, looking a particular way, and everything coming from the building versus coming from lives. And so the, the people of God have been forced contextually to switch. Really, it's God's original plan that goes 2,000 years back to the early church. Churches that didn't, they didn't have buildings, per se. They went into the synagogues and they went into cribs, houses. And so, they, they, so when we read the text many times as Western American Christians, we read it from our Western perspective and put our trappings on it. And what God wants to do is he wants to free us up and unleash us from those trappings. And so we're not talking about a freedom that loses, loses us um, in the mix of not being accountable, but really frees us up to be more, um, more, more reflecting, more reflectors of the great glory of God. And so Peter gorgeously paints a picture. It's a passage. Usually people zoom in on verse 15. But you really can't appreciate it. 
until you see it in light of the whole book. It's, it's like a flower that, I don't know if, y'all, I don't know if we have, I haven't seen morning glories in a long time. But morning glories will be closed at night, and as soon as the sun come out, they open up. And they, and they stick their little tentacles up. Well, that's what the unfolding of the word of God is like. See, some of, many of us read the word of God like this, but God wants the word of God to open up and bud and show us all that's within it so that we can get a fuller picture of it. And so here in this passage, I'm going to read these verses, and I want to dive through some stuff as we dive into these verses. I want to talk about today the missional Christian. And I want to explain and define some things and dive through as we work through the contours of us having our souls redefined based on God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. Verse 13, he says, now, I'm reading from the ESV version of the Bible. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do, not, do, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Salah. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will that, uh, f- than for doing evil. Peter, after our long slew of pictorials, Over the last few weeks, as we've gone through, what does it look like to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus, even though challenges come your way? And so we talked about our response to civic culture. Then we talked about our response in uh, the work environment. Then we talked about our, then we talked that smack dab in the middle was beautiful Christology of Jesus' response and how faithful he was to his mission even though challenges came his way. And so it gives Jesus as the ultimate pictorial of what it looks like to be faithful when you're going through brutal circumstance. Then right after that, it talks about uh, biblical womanhood by way of being a wife. Then he talks about biblical manhood by way of being a husband. Then last week you saw Pastor Deuce took us through verses 8 through verses 11. And what he did was showed us how it sums up the practice of the ethics of the Christian community. Y'all with me? And so then he goes and he begins to lay out those ethics in a beautiful and blessed way. And so today as we talk about this idea of mission, mission for the American church for the most part has been something that we do to those people over there. A Christian mission has found itself looking globally, which we should do global missions, but we we neglected our environment that we lived in. And with that great neglect, the church began to become further and further disconnected from the society in which it was called to incarnate or missionally engage. So when we talk about mission, we talk about mission not as something that we do. We talk about it as something that we are. We are missionaries. Why? Because God is the first missionary. When Adam was lost, Adam didn't go out seeking and saving the lost. There wasn't anybody else. But God, the missionary God, hovers over the Garden of Eden and begins to, in some human form, goes through in the cool of the day, and he calls for Adam. It wasn't as if his omniscience didn't know where he was. He was calling for him so that Adam would know where he wasn't.
And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God, we may say the pre-incarnate Christ, if you will, called out to Adam hiding with wifey. Huh? God coming. You know what I'm saying? Came out and we, we, we see the rest of the picture of that. But one of the things that we see in that picture is God going after man, not man going after God. Why? Because the Bible says no one seeks after God. No one. You don't have the will. You don't have the nature to be able to value God enough to go after him. He's not lost. We're lost. You're not looking for God. He's looking for you. Yeah. And so, listen, the one who finds goes and goes after. That's what we were singing about today. The beauty of the extinguished wrath of God because he's a missionary. And so then we see that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had a relationship connectivity and oneness yet yet uniquely distinct from one another for all eternity and God the son decided upon himself in counsel with his community to come to earth it was good in the eyes of the father it was good in the eyes of the holy spirit for the lord jesus christ the eternal son of god to take on a human nature without sin it was in his will. So now we see God again. We can, I can go through the whole Old Testament showing God initiating, not man initiating. It's all, everything in theology starts with God, not with man. See, I know we like the stuff that starts with us, me, and my, and ours, and I'm going to get my blessing. I'm going to snatch it down, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. So I did, snatch. How you? How are you going to snatch something from God? That's a whole nother sermon. But so we see God, the son, it says, and the word, the eternal Lagos became flesh, the missionary son. Then we see the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send. That's missionary language. The Holy Spirit is the current missionary working on behalf of the triune God currently. Wish I had time to talk about it. But he's the one working, and he's in you, and that missionary, the person, not the mist, not the smoke, not the vapor, he's not vapor action like some menthol or something, he's a person. He's in you, yearning to call the elect to himself. And so what we have here is the missionary God who, Paul says, be imitators of who? God. If we are to imitate him, we are to be missionaries. He, did, he doesn't make you do missions. You are a missionary. That's what John 4 is about. Whole another conversation. And so as we look at this passage, we see that Christians are now recalibrating their souls to respond to the calling work of the Holy Spirit to get us on mission again. Not just through sending somebody else, but us seeing ourselves responsible for it. And so Peter does something beautiful here. I like the way Leslie Newbegin, I mean, Leslie Newbegin says it. He says, the British missionary Leslie Newbegin, actually Tim Keller said this about him, went to India around 1950. There he was involved in a church living in mission in a very non-Christian culture. When he returned to England, some 30 years later, he discovered that now the Western church too existed in a non-Christian society, but it had not adapted to its new situation. Though public institutions and popular culture of Europe and North America no longer Christianized people. That's so I'm a cultural Christianity. I'm a Christian because I grew up in the church, not because I've been born again. The church still ran its ministries assuming that a stream of Christianized, traditional moral people would simply show up to their gatherings. Some churches certainly did evangelism as one ministry among many. 
like evangelism departments. But the church in the West had not become completely missional, adapting and reformulating absolutely everything it did in worship, discipleship, community, and service so as to be engaged with non-Christian society around it. It had not developed a missionary of Western culture the way it had done so for non-believing cultures in the past. And so God is calling us back to this. So in this passage, as we dive in, Peter, don't go to sleep on this one. Peter is calling his people to reflect the nature of God. And so here we go into verse one. And it says, in light of the being a missional, the missional Christian, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That brings me. To my first point, if you're going to be a missional Christian, missional Christians are, are undyingly faithful to the gospel. Missional Christians who don't just see mission as an event, but a comprehensive practice of their lives. They, they have an undying passion for the gospel. It's interesting here. He talks about two things under this. He talks about temporal protection and eternal protection. Look at what he does. He says, now, after all that's been said, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And so Peter here begins talking to these Christians in Asia Minor about what happens when you really become missional. When you live a life that reflects the glory of Christ everywhere you go, not just as an event on Sunday. He says there are certain things that are assumed to happen and come with that package deal. In other words, you can name anybody you want that comes up in the conversation. But when Jesus' name is mentioned, the room gets tense. It tenses up the room. Jesus, oh. You can say, I thank my Lord, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if you begin to proclaim him as a need for everybody. He's no longer just truth for us, but truth for everybody. And so he says, who can harm you? Who can harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So what he's talking about is he's talking to Christians who aren't in a, 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 a totalitarian society. That means a dictatorship. He's talking to Christians who, aren't, who haven't experienced the full persecution of the latter reign of either Claudius or the early reign of Nero. Nero is the one who's eventually going to be persecuting them and lighting Christians up at night. Stay with me. Just some background to give you some clarity on what we're talking about here. And so what he tells to the Christians, he says, he says stop being afraid of sharing your faith. He tells them, I want you to be bold with the gospel because some of the Christians were timid didn't want to mess up the room. They wanted to be included because they didn't like being left out of their socioeconomic spheres of enjoyment. And they knew if they reflected Jesus Christ, something would happen. Now, he says, who can harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, when he's talking about harming you, he's not just talking about physical persecution. He's talking about um, 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 harming you in relation to the things that God has for you. In other words, no matter what society cuts off from you, they're not the ultimate blessers the God of heaven is. So he says, stop fronting on God as if man provides for you. God is the one that provides for you. Now, and I'm not saying that some of y'all, I got to explain everything. That don't mean go to your cubicle tomorrow, stand on top of it in the office and shout the Lordship of Christ. Now, some of y'all say, well, the spirit may lead somebody. I, I, okay. 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 But if you're stealing pens and paper and making copies illegitimately, that's going to be rough. <laughs> so he said, who can harm you if you're doing right? So we're talking about missional, and we'll talk about what that practically looks like. He says, who can harm you? Then he says, if you're zealous for what is good, that's key. That's key. Zealous is an over-consuming passion for someone, something, or someplace. But he says here, he gives zeal 
clarity. He says, for what is good. Now, he's not talking about what you think is good. Because, you know, we think a lot of things are good. But he's talking about good from God's perspective. Now, how do we know what someone is being good from God's perspective? Well, we got to go back to chapter 2. Remember, you're, you're, you're properly relating to civic authorities. You're properly doing your job at work and submitting to even unrighteous bosses. And, and you are submitting to your husband and you're living in an understanding way with your wife. He says, when those things are a part of the matrix based on the gospel, he says, that's what you need to be zealous for. And as you're incarnating the life of Christ through s- some of those mediums as examples, people will look at it and get blown away by it. But he's talking about being zealous for what God is passionate for. That means you got to be zealous for what your passions haven't caught up with yet. Because God can mention something, and you know Christianly you're supposed to respond like you like it. But when you get home, you really don't like it. So while you're around the Christians, you're trying to front like you liked it, like the other Christians claimed that they liked it, even though most of us didn't like it because it's hard for all of us. But he's saying, I want you to have a zealous for everything that can even be against your own nature. Zealous for it. Zealous for it. And he's rigged your soul for it. You ain't got to say, all right, I'm going to get jealous. Zealous. Zealous. Come on, zealous. Come on, zealous. That's not what he's saying. But he's rigged your soul to love and see the benefits of it. And so he goes to temporal protection. So this is interesting. Peter does something interesting. And, and, And most writers in the New Testament always assume persecution. Peter doesn't. He assumes that sometimes Christians will be in a Christian-friendly environment. Then he, he, he notes that sometimes Christians will not be in a Christian-friendly environment. And when they're not in a Christian-friendly environment, see, in America, we're in a Christian-friendly environment, meaning people tolerate us as long as we don't make, as long as we don't make truth their truth. But it's, so, it's, so, it's, so it's a Christian-tolerant environment. But then Peter says, but there are times, thank you, when, when tolerance, when people are ill-tolerant against Christianity. And that's when he goes to the second part. He says, but uh, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. Doesn't that sound like the Beatitudes, Jesus? Matthew chapter 5, proclaiming the blessing of suffering. Suffer for righteousness sake. Suffer for righteousness sake. That means suffer for the right reasons that are based on the heart of God. Not something you put yourself in. He says you will be blessed. Now see, most preachers today preach blessing now. But the Bible will use futuristic terminology if suffering is imminent. In other words, there are times when some of your blessings, and many of them, matter of fact, I would even say 99.9% of our blessings are not temporal. See, that's a struggle because we are now people. We want our internet to work fast. We want our food fast. We even like our men and women fast. But biblical thinking, some of y'all can catch that, biblical thinking Biblical thinking is very last things eschatologically pointed. That means that some stuff you won't get now. Can you handle that? And be faithful to the mission of God even while stuff is happening that you don't like and you're called to have passions that you don't like to get stuff that you can't get now. There's some blessings you can't yank, baby. There's some that, will, that are only will bless. So he says, you will be blessed. He says, have no fear of them. So he's preparing them for the imminent time of suffering. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Beautiful. 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 And so he basically says, don't be scared of them. But then, 
What's beautiful is he makes sure that their knowledge is based on what is good, not what's bad. And it reminds me of Proverbs 19, 2. It says, desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. So you can have all the passion in the world, but if it's not connected to biblical knowledge based on God's word, you're going to be out there by yourself. And it's a, it's, it's a little scary to be out there by yourself if God hand is not on what you're trying to do. Now, let's look at the next verse, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time for the rest of the time. Um, in, in, this, in this next point, in verse, um, verse 15, the missional Christian. If you're going to be a missional Christian, missional Christians, now I'm going to chop all of this up, have comprehensive apologetics. Comprehensive apologetics. Let me explain that. Apologetics has been seen as just defending the faith from intellectual information. Whenever you hear somebody saying they're going to have an apologetics class, it's only argument-based alone, based on an assumed way of thinking, whether it's like um, the deity of Christ, the, the Bible, all those different things. You're trying to defend those things. Well, it's interesting how Peter uses apologetics in this passage. He talks about apologetics, defending the faith, as being broader than just mind fighting with someone. Now, now, now what, what he does here is, is he goes in and he, he begins after he talks about the possibility of persecution. He says, he says, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Now, I, I, had, some, I had some struggles with this because I had to work through the translations with it and I had to even call one of my Greek professors and say, I'm, I'm a little lost on this. So he helped me with it, as I, especially as I looked at the other translations. I like this one. This, this can be translated this way, but let me give you the sense of this. Set apart Christ in your heart as Lord. Yeah, I like that. Set apart in your heart or in your heart Set apart Christ as Lord. Oh, Lord, I love this part. Because what, what, is, it, what is he saying here? He, he's, he's calling the believers to have a clear understanding of Christ. Now, people can like Christ as redeemer, but not ruler. Yeah. See, you can sing about what he did for you, but it's hard to sing about what you're going to do in light of him. So see, Christ just points to, oh, he blessed me. Hallelujah, he blessed me. In this place, that's Christ. But Lord creates a different disposition for you. He says, set apart in your heart. Stop there. Heart here is not just the intellectual faculties of your mind. Gathering information all the time. Reading systematic theology. Having lagos. All of those things are beautiful. I love it. I use it weekly. But he's saying, in light of those things, I don't want you to just have them in your mind. He said, in your heart. That means your passions and your practice. If Christ is Lord over your mind, your passions, and your execution, that's a different type of lordship. Because what he's trying to tell them to be is comprehensive. The total of your being. You can't be raggedy in your life with a lot of information and say you got comprehensive apologetics. You can't be jumping out of windows on the campuses with a lot of information. And you ain't, it is not showing up in your passions and your practice. You can't be creeping. Comprehensive. As soon as somebody says something against, I, I, I know that, but, but then when it comes, see, you can learn a lot about a person by going into their room. See, see, apologetics is not just arguing through some blog, through some article, on your MySpace page, on your Facebook, on Black Planet. I know it lost everybody else, Black Planet. There's a thing called Black Planet that was, you know, I'm sorry. For our multi-ethnic people groups in the place. Black planet. We sorry. We don't want the planet to be black. We sorry. Um, we want it to be multi-ethnic. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, 
But Peter says, I want you to set aside now. Now, when he's talking about, he's not talking about making Jesus holy. Jesus is already holy. But he's talking about the centrality of Jesus' place in your thinking, in your passions, and in your practice. In your thinking, in your passions, and in your practice. This is where we get Christocentrism from. Christ being at the center, not first. That means he's a checkoff. Central. He wants lordship, Yahwehism, godship, telling you what to do. We live in a society where Christians think they can tell God to do, what to do. God, I decree. I, what are you talking about? How are you going to decree to God the one who decrees? And all of his decrees are finished. He don't, he's, he don't even decree no more. He did them before the foundation of the world. Y'all going to catch that on the way home. That's just hitting the walls and bouncing off like a rubber ball. And you can't decree and announce and make anything happen with your mouth. The Lord does. That's another sermon. Come to Covenant Community. So... <clears throat> So when we talk about the lordship of Christ, that, I like this. That means the Christian must, must see Christ in light of his redemption and his ruling. And, you, and, he, and what's interesting is that before he tells them to proclaim Jesus to others, he tells them to have Christ ruling them. Because you can't. Announce Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to somebody else if on some level in your life he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because it, it looks bad. If you pub, if pe some of y'all don't know you raggedy. And let me say this because sometimes the Christian, listen, the Christian sometimes in our environment is the most vocal but the most trifling. And so Peter is guarding them against this. He said, he says he got to be Christ. He said, but he also got to be Lord. And he said, he has to have a unique set aside place in your being, in your way of thinking, and what you have a passion for. Is Jesus shaping your thinking still? Or is he a check off to heaven? Is he shaping what you're passionate for? Do you make stuff like, I, I know I'm not supposed to like this, but check this out. That, guess what that means? Unreformed passions that you're making room for in your heart versus the lordship of Jesus. But then in our practice, it always makes its way powerfully by that reality. So he says, set apart Jesus as Lord in your hearts. And so this is a very important premise that we must, as Christians, begin to zoom in on and develop a desire for. Then he says, he says something interesting. He says, he says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Beautiful. 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 In other words, we should be in a constant state a constant state of development and preparation to get the gospel out. That means you don't wait for an evangelism class. And preparation is more than just learning how to do evangelism. It's having a life that reflects the gospel that we're preaching. Now, I'm not preaching moralism apart from the work of the gospel. But listen to this word defense. He says, he says to make a defense. This is the word where we get apologetics from. It's the Greek word apologia. Say apologia. Yeah, this, this word has been used um, by some um, in Christianity lately. If you're keeping up on your pop Christian informational culture, some of us are Christian pop culture nerds. And so, and so what, what had happened is, is Christians were so talking about the heart that we began to think that you had to leave your mind at the door. And so what happened is, is that people began to go to the other pendulum. And making Christianity merely an intellectual faith. Now, we know biblically that God wants us to worship him with everything. How do we know that? When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your 
heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so we see that God wants everything to worship him, and that worship is a mission. When, when, your, when your life, when our lives are an aroma before God, God waves that aroma among the lost. And even though they can't compute it, there is a noticeable difference about you. Not better. Not better. That's very important to understand. And so he goes in and he begins to tell them that apologetics is broader than thinking it's the way you do your everyday life. It's like if you had the cash register, real simple. They gave you too much change. You give it back. I remember somebody said, boy, I'd have kept that. I was like, nah, I, I wouldn't have been able to spend it with a clear conscience. Because I have someone inside of me that would frustrate me until I gave it back to you. Who that? Oh, I'm glad you asked. A noticeable difference. They need to notice you in your singleness. You carry yourself differently. They don't want to just want to know that you want to dump information on them. They got to hear the gospel because first, I mean, because Romans 10 says, who can hear without a preacher? However, in hearing without a preacher, we're supposed to act with wisdom towards outsiders. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And so when we talk about apologetics, we want to have comprehensive apologetics. So let's talk about some theological, some, some fallacies to apologetics. People see defending the reliability of the Bible, the existence of God, the historical Jesus, the resurrection, and the cross, and the historicity of biblical people and events as the only way to do apologetics. They don't believe in the Bible, so i got to argue them into believing that the Bible was a historical book. That's only a part of the equation. This is the other part of the equation. Because, see, people see us in this way. Christians are lazy. Christians say one thing and do another. Christians present themselves as perfect. Christians don't care about real-life issues. Christian churches are filled with women. Christian churches only have feminized men. If more men would just be present, that's an apologetic. <laughs> just present. Somebody come in and see an all-male band banging. See the ladies up here, so it balances out. They see dudes walking through a service. There has to be, like, these things are an apologetic. So, 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 and, and the men aren't feminized. If I could just start, we're talking about the missional Christian, right? I mean, when I first, y'all got to understand, when I got saved on Bowie State's campus, you know, I was a weed-smoking, T-shirt and jean, Timberland-wearing dude. So I'm, I'm walking, I come up in the, in the, I come up in the joint, man, I'm, I, you know, I, I trusted Christ, you know. I'm, you know how we used to walk like we, we was bow-legged. I wasn't really bow-legged. You know, you used to walk like that. You know what I'm saying? Like you was bow-legged. Y'all know, some of y'all don't know nothing about that. That may have been the 80s. And I still, you know, I still ain't shaved the world off because, you know, I used to think girls like bow-legged dudes, so I used to walk like that. But what's interesting, but what's interesting, somebody, I went past you. <clears throat> Let's keep it sanctified. But when I went in, and, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, and I was a strange dude, you know, and uh, I walked in, and, uh, you know, it was, the dudes were different. Like, they weren't just nerdy, because I could deal with the nerdiness. But, but there was a tenderness about the fellas. And, and, and I, I'm going to be honest with you. I struggled with it. Because it wasn't just like a few. It was all of them. Running and arms back. I was struggling. I'm going to just be honest. I'm going to just be honest with you. 
And so I'm fresh off the block. Ain't nobody looking like me up in that joint. I'm sitting up like, you know, I ain't saying they got to, you know, be alkies and weed heads, but I'm talking about just a oof. You know what I'm saying? But you don't realize today what's an apologetic. Like when Daryl and Trisha got married. When they got married here, I said, because when, when, I come to work around here all the time, and all I see is funerals. I've never seen one wedding. And when they got married, I said, you don't know what that wedding is going to do for somebody. Everything in our life, everything, you don't know, everything in your life is missional. Everything. You're being watched. I know the song says somebody, I, sometimes it feels like somebody's watching me. Yes, they are. And if you're here and you're fronting, let's let it be by the grace of Christ over. We're not talking about perfect because ain't no perfect people allowed in here. Only people in process are. And so, and so, and so we want... We want to have beefy theological minds, but we don't want it to stop there. Because people start to not respect the depth of the theology when your life seems to ignore it. And so it's, and I'm not trying to beat us up, but we're becoming known for being top heavy, but light in our feet as a church. Your soul is only as beefy as the nutrients that made its way into it. And so it's important. But then another one is that there are no authentic Christian pastors. That one we're out to fight against. And even Pastor Deuce's act last week was a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of authentic pastoral leadership. Because we don't realize when we admit we're messed up too, that that frees somebody else up to say, you know what? To be honest, I've been waiting for one of y'all to stop. Whoa, I can just let go. I'm, whoa, look, look, look. You know what I'm saying? Just ready. You know what I'm saying? It'll bless somebody. Look, repentance will bless somebody. We talking about repentance, not ungodly sorrow. Coming to the altar, rededicating your life, but your soul is not really dedicated again. Crying, oh God, I bless you. God, I'm sorry, man. Let's roll that blunt. No. And I'm spending my time on this because this is very important. This is very important, man. I don't want us to become top heavy, man. This top heavy. Feet light like feathers, chipping all up because your head, you, whoa, because we got to get depth. It's important. It's important. And it's important that it's seen in small groups. Now, why are we in small groups? I'm, I'm just getting it all out now. We're in small groups. Well, yo, I just want to expound on, you know what I'm saying, the vogacious mind of God because he, then creep, creepology's going on. You know, I was reading, you know what I'm saying, man, be quiet. Depth. We want them both to match. We want to see some weakness sometimes. Some weakness. Some strength being made perfect in weakness. That are, that, so, somebody will see the gospel through that. Then when you proclaim the gospel, they say, yeah, I saw you repent. That's how I knew that when you proclaim that gospel, that Jesus changes stuff. He changes stuff. You turn to the cross regularly. You tell me you're not perfect. I see God working in. Even, see, sanctification is missional. Spiritual growth, growing up in the faith. Your friends that saw you whoremongling, acting a fool, seeing something change. We're not talking about you being funny, but them saying something. They said, there's got to be a Jesus. Because that Negro right there was a crazy. Listen, let me. Look, I'm telling y'all, when I got saved, ask my wife. 
Ask my wife. I was a plum fool. And when, I, when the Lord saved me, everybody knew that God exists. Because that, I mean, hey, hey, he exists. Where do I sign up here? If he's changing lives like that, I mean, because, because listen. And then, then when it, then some cats said, then some of my boys told me, this is what they told me. They said, E, in about, in about a few minutes, let's, we're going to watch you for a couple of days. We're going to watch you for a couple of days. Roll, roll that, put that honey up in it. Bring that Hennessy out. Come on, let's do it. Let's see how, how well he hold up. And then the Lord brought me somebody discipling me, walking with me. Cass said, dang, it's been a month. Dang, it's been two months. Made some mistakes, went to people, said, yo, yo, man, I, I, that wasn't proper reflection of Jesus Christ. So don't think I went back. And I'm just telling you. So I'm not trying to paint this picture perfect. But I'm talking about as Jesus grows you and develops you and your mind and your heart and your practices are aligned with the cross. And he brings your life in subjection to him. That's beautiful missionary work. Because you're not telling people, you're not going out and doing missions that wasn't done in you. Because God is reach, still reach. Do you know God is still reaching you? You are positionally reached, but all of us still need to be practically reached. The church always reforming, the reformers used to say. Every one of us. And so I pray. We'll, we'll just get, pick up the rest next week. But, 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 but it's so important. It's so important for us. It's so important for us by the grace of Christ for Christianity to be real. It's because it is. We don't make it real. We reflect its reality through our submission to the finished work of Christ on the cross. So it's important that apologetics is more than just arguing with somebody online. But that your life argues that Jesus lives, not lived, lives. It's beautiful. And it doesn't come from hard work. It comes from the work of Christ. And you just find his footprints and you put your foot right where he walked already. That's, that's the Christian life. You don't walk out the Christian life. He helps you to walk it. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live to the glory of the Son of God who died for me. You're the glove and he's the hand. Open yourself up for him to put his fingers all through your soul, through his lordship, and let him wear you. Let him wear you like his costume on planet earth. Let him wear you. Let him wear you. Let him wear you. There's some areas of your life Jesus hasn't put his fingers in yet. Move out the way and let him get in there. Let him get in there. Let him get in there. He'll do a work. I'm a living witness. He'll do a work. Let him get in there. Unturned places of secrecy. Let it go in Jesus' name. And let his lordship dive inside and wipe the dirt out. His blood goes deep. It goes deep. His blood washes deep. And it's not just for when you got justified, but you still need his blood right now. Right now. You were washed and you're being washed. Because <laughs> his work on the cross was enough to continue to wash. There's no detergent on planet Earth like it. And I pray that we would stop trying to be perfect. And let him perfect us. That's a difference. There is a difference. I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'm going to stop. We'll pick up. We'll pick up. If you're here today and you've heard Christ preached, all of us admit in here that there was a time where we were spiritually dead. That means no connectivity to the living God. 
No, no connectivity at all. None. Zero. Zilch. And we were in desperate need of his grace. We were in desperate need of his grace. And still, we are in need of his grace. But his death on the cross, God made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. All of our sin, past, present, and future, was placed on the God-man. And when he died, if you trust him and him alone, your stuff died with him. And he took his righteousness and he injects perfection into you. But he was injected with our sin. But because he was innocent and he was wrongly accused, he had to get up from the grave. Because God could not let his son go decay and be unjustly accused. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to clear his name. But until then, there are mad people in here that are in need of the gospel. Maybe you grew up in a church. You came to the altar or you got baptized at 12. That doesn't make you a Christian. Trusting Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, brings salvation. So if that's you, and you want to say, I want to trust, I want to repent of my sin, turn from what I think about myself, my way of thinking, my way of doing things, my passions, my desires, and turning to Jesus. That's the gospel. Trust him today. Fill out a card on the back table. We want to talk to you about the beauty of the gospel. And if you trusted him, we definitely want to talk to you. Lord God, we.